the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, June the 23rd, 2022, in the year of our Lord. On June 23rd, 1888, abolitionist Frederick Douglass, he received one vote from the Kentucky delegation at the Republican Convention in Chicago. That effectively made him the first black candidate to have his name placed in nomination for U.S. president. Benjamin Harrison went on to win the nomination for the Republican Party. Today in 1860, a congressional resolution authorizing creation of the United States Government Printing Office, which opened the following year, printing money and memos and all kinds of things. Today in 1931, aviators Wiley Post and Harold Gaddy, they took off from New York. They were going to fly around the world, and they did. It lasted eight days and 15 hours. Today in 1956, Nasser was elected president of Egypt. Today in 1972, President Richard Nixon signed Title IX, barring discrimination on the basis of sex for any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Title IX has become kind of a battering ram for the LGBTQ agenda, but that was signed into law today in 1972. It was well-intentioned. But as these things go, sometimes the best of intention can be twisted and used for other purposes. Today, in 1994, the movie Forrest Gump was released by Paramount Pictures. Today, in 1995, Dr. Jonas Salk, he developed the first polio vaccine. He died in La Jolla, California. He was 80 years old. Yesterday I was talking about Disney and uh, the the company Disney and Disneyland, Disney World, Disney whatever. They're all over the world, the, the theme parks and so on. You probably may know or may not, but Disney also owns, um, they own ABC, New, ABC Network. And I think they still own ESPN. I didn't check that out this morning. They have owned ESPN, the sports channels. Uh, I, I heard they were trying to get rid of them. I don't know if they have or if they're in the process of trying to dump those or not. But anyway, um, Disney is a huge company founded by Walt Disney himself and a brother. But Walt Disney had a dream, and he, he told it very simply. He said one day sitting in the park, he was watching his kids play. And I think at that time they lived in Iowa or Ohio or somewhere back in the upper Midwest. But he said he was watching his kids play, and he said, it's, it occurred to me that we need a park, a place where the whole family can go and enjoy themselves, mom and dad and the kids. Honest, that was the seed that produced what we know as Disneyland, Disney World, etc. I was talking about their destiny yesterday on this program. I was suggesting that their destiny is pretty dim if they continue on this path. This morning, 
this morning, just a couple of hours ago, the newest report out on Disney Corporation, Walt Disney Company. Their stock, one year ago today, their stock was worth about $180. Their stock today is $93. And no, they haven't had a split in their stock. Disney stock has plummeted nearly 50%. Strictly and totally, the market says. This is not a pastor or preacher saying this. The market is saying this. Because of their political infused productions. And they continue to turn audiences away and anger what were once fans of Disney. Disney's giving everything up. Since you can't force people to watch or enjoy something that either makes them uncomfortable or exposes their children to human sexuality before they're ready. Disney is going underwater. Oh, they're not going to go bankrupt. They have a lot of wealth to burn through before that would ever happen. Other people's wealth, stockholders, retirement funds. But they're dead set on burning up other people's money to get their agenda across, specifically their agenda of transgenderism. Not just LGBTQIA+, etc., 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 but it's the transgender they are particularly seem to be obsessed with. Disney has had three legs. I, w- I would call them three legs of a stool, kind of, as a mental picture, of films that has made them millions, probably billions of dollars over the years. Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I mean, it, its I don't know the number, but it's huge what they've made off these three um, whole, it was, I mean, it's a whole company within the company. These things have been so successful, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. But they were once entertaining. I didn't care for them particularly myself, but I'm talking about the masses. They were entertaining. But now there's two things that people have come to hate and they think about before they go to a Disney movie. It's sad, but true, but I'm glad it's all coming out. Number one, they don't. the public don't like woke lectures. They don't want to hear this lesson when they pay money to go sit in a theater somewhere and watch a movie. They don't want to be told about how you do all of the pronouns if you don't know what sex you are or what gender you are. They don't want to hear that. I mean, they're going there to escape all the pressures and, uh, and of everything else and just be entertained. Tell me a good story. That's why they go there. The other reason that they hate these kinds of movies that Disney's making is because when they're not being lectured from the screen, they're sitting there stressed out because they know it's coming. People don't go to the movies to be made uncomfortable, stressed out, or to have their innocent, the innocence of their children shattered by same-sex sex or kissing or all this. I mean, if I'm smart enough to know that, I would think that Disney certainly would be. What do I know about movies? Well, I know that. I think they're finding out, too. At some point, somebody's going to have to raise their hand in a closed-door session in a conference room somewhere and say, "Uh, guys, I think we might not be on the right track. I would think they would get to that point. 
Well, the U.S. Supreme Court hasn't, as of about 10 minutes ago, has not spoken again to the issue of abortion, where the nation is has bated breath as we wait for that to come out. We've seen the leaked document, the draft, and the draft that we saw leaked back some time ago, several number of weeks ago now. If they stay with that, Roe v. Wade is history for all practical purposes. They did come out, though, this morning. The Supreme Court came out. They struck down a restrictive New York handgun permitting law. I think New York was running that out there to see what would happen um, because they thought they could make a lot of so-called progress in gun confiscation, basically, is what they want, and that's what the left wants. And they, if they thought this would stand, well, it didn't stand. It was a major win for the Second Amendment and for gun rights. It was a 6-3 to three ruling, the nation's court, the highest court. They struck down New York's gun control law. It, what the law was, just briefly, it required people to show, quote-unquote, proper cause to get a license to carry a concealed handgun outside the home. <laughs> In other words, under current law, you could have, I mean, the way they wanted it, you can have a handgun in your home, but if you take it out of your home, you're transporting a, a, a handgun, a self-defense you know, mechanism or whatever they called it, and you're transporting that. And so they tried to isolate that transporting of and say, well, look how many shooters this would, would stop if they, if they can't do it legally. These guys that are shooting people and killing people, these mass murderers, they're not sitting down and saying, well, you know, wow, I don't want to break the law, so I better not. I mean, there's no thought of the law. None. I don't know why these people don't understand that, but they don't seem to. I mean, maybe they do and don't care. I don't know what they're thinking, but I certainly know what they're doing. So anyway, the Supreme Court struck it down. They said, you can't do that. They told New York, you can't have a law, a Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States that says people can have a gun and then tell them they can't. And that's basically what they were doing. Justice Clarence Thomas, he wrote a Phenomenal. He always does, but he wrote a phenomenal um, piece on on that for the majority. And he said, and I read a little bit of it this morning, he said that the Second and Fourteenth Amendment protect an individual's right to carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home. He explained that nothing in the Second Amendment distinguishes between home and public with respect to keep the right to keep and bear arms. He said, we too agree and now hold consistent that the Second and Fourteenth Amendments protect an individual's right to carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home. That wasn't what the New York far-left people wanted to hear, but that's what they got this morning, thankfully. Thankfully. Como TV News is reporting this morning that uh, abortion rights could be on the verge of being suspended, upended, I mean, uh, by the U.S. Supreme Court, I would say they're right on that. The decision could result in severe consequences for Washington state. These people are saying they were uh, State Attorney General Bob Ferguson. He discussed the highly charged topic, Como News says this morning, during a panel discussion. It was The discussion was yesterday. was part of the Seattle City Club Civic Cocktail Series. I'm wondering if these guys were drunk when they were talking about some of this. I don't know how many cocktails they drink. I've never been to one of those and wouldn't be, wouldn't be invited, frankly. I, I'll, I'll admit I've never been invited. No. But anyway, other panelists included uh, this uh, Senator 
uh, Hingra, uh, she's a Democrat from Redmond, I think, and Rebecca Gibran, uh, she's with Planned Parenthood, I know that. Uh, Washington State will still guarantee access to abortion if the justices overturn it, but the legal landscape will certainly change, Como News says. Well, it will change. Ferguson told the group, the cocktail group, he said, this train is only going in one direction for those who want to take away the right to a safe and legal abortion in this country. Gibran cited a study by Gutmaker Institute that predicts Washington could see a 385% increase in patients from states that outlaw abortion. Most of the women would come from Idaho and Montana, Gutmacher Institute says. When you hear Gutmacher quoted, and they quote them all the time, uh, especially uh, the abortion industry in general and Planned Parenthood in particular, when you hear them, you should know, and maybe you do know this, but we should all be aware of it, that Gutmacher Institute, while it's a standalone, it's its its own individual company now, for quite a while, it was created by uh, the Margaret Sanger Group and their extension that became Planned Parenthood. It was part of Planned Parenthood. It was kind of the research arm of Planned Parenthood. People then started getting upset about it because it was very plain that they were connected. And so Planned Parenthood would, and they still do, would quote Gubmacher because Gubmacher was finding what they wanted them to find in their surveys. So they split that a while back. I can't remember what year it was, but it was a while back. They split that. And now they pretend that they're two very different, unrelated. Legally, they are, but emotionally and and philosophically they're not at all unrelated they're one and the same they're marching to the same drumbeat so when you hear that but they're they're separated and they can prove it and they're different companies and all that kind of thing but when Planned Parenthood or abortion activists are quoting Gutmarker they're really quoting Planned Parenthood I mean realistically not legally not formally so anyway Gutmarker saying there's going to be a 385 percent increase and there may be but just know the connection there. 385% increase in abortions from other states in Washington state. Most of the women would come from Idaho and Montana, which don't have state laws guaranteeing the right to choose, according to the study of Gutmacher. Other patients could come from Oregon, they say, which has protections, but almost no clinics east of Bend, Oregon. The right to choose access has stood for nearly 50 years, the panelists say. Reversing that would come with considerable fallout. I think we can be sure of that. I uh, just wanted to mention this this morning because that's this conversation that they were having yesterday in Seattle. It kind of mirrors what the conversation is around the country. And um, Bob Ferguson, of course, who is in waiting to become the next governor in his mind, He said, I also feel confident that in Washington, we will be able to protect Washingtonians and providers and women who come to our state for abortion. I wonder if it's ever crossed his mind that those children that are being killed, they also need protection. The attorney general said legal abortion is grounded in privacy rights. If that's stripped away, he said there would be future attacks on same-sex marriage and other rights people take for granted. I hope he's right. I hope that 
our culture takes another look at same-sex marriage because it isn't marriage. Roe v. Wade, as disastrous as it would be overturning it, is also the first step on eroding other constitutional rights. Attorney General Ferguson. That was his comment at the cocktail convention yesterday in Washington. I published an article this morning that I hope people who need to know this stuff, and some of you have people who are gay in your family, perhaps children or people related in the family, and you have contact with them, and there's exchanges, I'm sure. I want to talk just very directly uh, in love about this today, and I want to quote some other pastors, because this is becoming more and more of a problem. The United Methodist, you know, is being ripped apart slowly but surely. Uh, One of the great denominations in the world in the past, birthed out of the ministry of John and Charles Wesley and and churches all over the world. Uh, They preached the gospel, they shared the gospel, they led people to Christ and so on, as other churches have done, and, and fortunately some still do, but unfortunately some don't. But anyway, they've been torn, and they're being ripped, and they they had a plan in place to kind of, you know, divide the denomination, and it all comes down over this LGBTQ AI plus thing. I mean, that's at the bottom of it, but one of their leaders... Uh, They had that in place, but when the COVID-19 pandemic happened, then they didn't meet for two years in their global convention. So they couldn't go ahead with it. And during that time, the relationship within the United Methodist Church deteriorated even more. And now churches are just leaving on their own because they disagree with the fact last week, 70 churches in Georgia alone left the denomination over the abandonment of Scripture and God's design for marriage, they said. That was the official. They said, they're just we're not going to go there. They said, we're going to stay with the Bible. We're going to believe the Bible. We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to practice the Bible in our churches, 70 of them, in one state just last week. So that's something that's going on out there. And that's why we, we talk about this issue a lot, because it's so dominating, whether it's Disney or or, or General Mill. I mean, it doesn't matter what, or Kellogg's. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It's infusing, and now the churches. In fact, there was a, there's a, um, I noticed I got an email this morning. I get hundreds, thousands of them, actually. But I noticed an email among many. Today, it's from a church resource company for pastors. And I'm, I have been for years on some of those uh, websites, and I get their stuff, and I, I still do. And um, in there, it's a, it, their, their main thrust today, I haven't read it yet, but I just saw it a few minutes ago before I came on the air. And they were they were saying that they have they have uh, materials to help guide pastors to help the homosexuals, the LGBTQ plus people in their church to have the proper roles of leadership in the church. That's what the pastors resource thing is today that went out to, I don't know, thousands of pastors, I suppose, or former pastors or whatever. So this whole it is so we are so obsessed with this. And that's why I talk about it as much as I do. The U.S. Census Bureau came out with a report. They're saying that LGBT struggles more with mental health than people who are straight do. That's the CDC. 
LGBT adults ages 18 and older reported roughly twice the rate of mental health challenges as non-LGBT adults. This is the U.S. Census Bureau. The results came from the Census Bureau's House Pulse Survey, started in April 2020 after the beginning of COVID, went through till, I think it was last week they concluded this. They released it yesterday. The survey is conducted from, yeah, from March through May of this year, and it was released yesterday. They found 50% of LGBT adults said they had symptoms of anxiety, while only 24.3% of non-LGBT adults said they had symptoms of anxiety. It's an amazing, there's a lot of facts there, and I just put it in the front part of what I wrote today at faithandfreedom.us. You can go there and read it. But I also included a part in what I wrote, and that's what I want to talk to you about today specifically. How should biblical Christians respond to homosexuals in the family, in the church, in your circle of acquaintances, friends, close friends, the children of close friends or family members? Gary Hamrick, he's a senior pastor of a 10,000-member church. It's called Cornerstone Chaplets in Leesburg, Virginia. He's really addressed these issues to his church, 10,000 members. He said, because he said, this has become so dominant, this whole thing. He said, people are obsessed with, that's all they talk about in our culture. So he had a kind of a sit down with his church. I don't know if they were all there, all 10,000 of them, but a lot were there. He and his son sat down with an open question thing, and it's on YouTube, and I included it in the article that I wrote. I, if, if you have issues within the family, uh, we certainly don't have time here to go through it. I mean, I w- wish we did, but we don't. But take a look at the question and answer uh, on the YouTube that's included in my article there. I would encourage you, particularly if, if this is a family issue for you, and it is for a lot of families. But in specifically talking about your own children, one person asked the pastor how parents can guard their children against the push for the acceptance of sexual fluidity in their generation and future peer groups. And that's a very good question. His answer was this, and I'll just quote him. He said, it's unavoidable, the pastor said. It's going to happen. And it is. It's everywhere. It isn't just Disney. It isn't just, you know, cornflakes or whatever. It's everywhere. The pastor said, all you can do as parents is pray a lot for your kids, and it's okay to shelter them as best you can. He said, you do your best, and you trust God to protect their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. He said, parents will often expose their children to ideas of gender fluidity and sexuality too early because they're trying to get ahead of the culture, the classroom, whatever, and they're trying to kind of tell their kids so that they can influence how their kids hear this before the teacher or Disneyland or whomever gets a hold of their kid. Understandable. But he says, be careful of that, because if you rush ahead of what the child should be hearing at a given age, you're doing more harm than good. I agree totally with that. But they need to know. Kids need to be informed. But it's how and when. And the culture today says, give me your child. Your teenager, no, they're too old. We want your five-year-olds. 
and they're pushing this stuff into public education. Now Disney's pushing it onto the screen. And your little five-year-old goes to kindergarten. They're told this stuff. They sit in front of the TV while you're busy in the home. You're not paying attention to what they're looking. You're saying, well, Disney, they're, they're good. I trust them. That's the problem. You can shelter your kids, but you're going to have to eventually come to grips with the evils of the world. You don't have to expose them at an early age. That's key. Hamrick made a big deal out of this in his response as a pastor. He said when kids get exposed to things at an early age, that's where it's much more detrimental. He encouraged parents to direct their kids to Bible passages. I I agree with him on that, but sometimes kids, I mean, yes, 100%. But sometimes kids will go, oh, there goes dad again. He's reading scriptures to me, if they're not little, but like a teenager. But Bible passages is what we build our faith on and we build our position on. He suggested that you read to children. Genesis 1, chapter 27, that's familiar to many of us. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And you then say, that's why son or daughter, that's why we believe what we believe. We believe God, we stand on the Bible. Another audience member asked the pastor, though, how should Christians respond to LGBT friends who argue love is love? And that is a huge, I mean, can you drive down a street in your neighborhood, whatever town you live in, and not see a lot of signs that go, love wins and love is love and we have a right to marry whom we love and on and on. It's everywhere. Well, the pastor, Hamrick, he replied to that. He said, if you really believe the Bible is the basis for your belief system, then you're going to recognize that God calls homosexuality sin. And he said, if you operate from that standard, from that description, from that definition, that it's a matter of how do I communicate this truth in love, but not appear or not support the activity. And of course, I related to that because I've been saying that as a pastor for years, I've said that in our own family. I've said that on this radio program a number of times. Being loving is not denying the truth, but being very unloving, the very unloving thing is to not tell them the truth. That's the problem in our culture today. We're trying, churches are out there, as I said, I haven't read this, but I got this resource material this morning that, and the, 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 the little, teaser on the thing says you know materials to help you put the put gays in the right place in your church so they can be most effective i'm thinking what they don't need to be leaders they need to be transformed but you can say it to them in love i know it's almost a cliche but god has taught us how to love the sinner and hate the sin i've been mocked Literally, publicly, for saying that publicly, on the radio. But I believe it. I believe that. You can love the sinner, and you can hate the sin, and you can communicate that to someone you love, a family member or whatever. God did. Jesus Christ himself died on the cross. He bled and died for your sin. And mine, because he loved us. But he did not come to this earth to say, well, I understand the flesh is weak and so on. And no, he died for the truth. And the truth is the word of the Lord. 
He loved you and he loved me. But he didn't love our sin and he didn't contone it and he didn't affirm it. And the other side, the gay movement today and the abortion movement and all of them are trying to get Christians to affirm their sin. They don't want to be restored or renewed. Well, I'm out of time. We'll continue this tomorrow. Thank you for your support. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.